Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption podcast. I've got a treat for you here today. We're going to be starting a new segment of the podcast, something I say often. Uh, there's so many ideas I want to explore and things I want to look into. And, and um, you know, my, my time as a missionary affords me the ability to, to read a lot, to study a lot, and to write a lot, and, and then try and turn it into something useful to record on the podcast. Now, just bear with me as you hear our Muslim friends across the way, are, um, they are doing their vain call to prayer, is what it is, nothing I can do about it. Um, he's not consistent with time, so though it may, it may or may not be the time for the Muslim call to prayer, he just kind of does it when he wants rather than on the, the schedule that most Muslims keep pretty tightly. But it, fit, it fits perfectly It's a beautiful contrast with what we're going to be talking about here today. I want to start an in-depth exploration of the term worldview. It's a very important term. And I I think at times Christians are somewhat fearful of philosophical terms that, that can be helpful to us as Christians, but we don't like to really explore the, the philosophical route. We prefer to, to stick uh, strictly in terms of what the Bible says, and there is nothing wrong with that. That is, that is obviously who we are and what we are. But that doesn't mean that uh, you know Christian-based philosophical terms can't be helpful to us. They they can. They can be very helpful to us. And I think this is one of those terms that um, uh, that many Christian-based philosophers and and theologians and and people more of that realm have adopted and have made good use of. And in, with respect to missions, I think it's going to be very helpful. So I'm going to explore this idea and look into it. And, and, and I hope the dialogue that we're going to go through here um, will be, we'll, we'll make clear to you why that is, how, how it might be helpful and what we can do to use it and apply it and, and its role in missions. I mean, that's ultimately the key. I'm a missionary. Um, we want to teach and preach the word of God. Um, we want to we want to win souls to Christ, but we don't we don't want to just have numbers. 
to, to put in the prayer letter. We want to win souls to Christ and then see them go on to live a victorious Christian life. And that's my concern. That's not, that's not happening on a large scale. Lots of people are reporting professions of faith. But where are those people? I'll give you a great example of what, why, why this has come to my attention and why I, I, I'm taking it as seriously as I am. My first year in Uganda, between myself Missionary Keith Stensis, another missionary I work with, Masaka Independent Baptist Church, the local church here in, in Masaka, Uganda, where, where we live, and, um, and, and, and every, everyone involved in that. We had some medical teams come. We had, we had um, you know, the ministry-wide is, is what I'm trying to say. This is not me personally. This is everyone involved in the work here. We had about, in my first year, we had more, I believe, more than 500 professions of faith less than 1% of those people are in church. That's a problem. And I believe at the heart of that problem are going to be worldview issues. And, and that's why this, this exploring this idea as in-depth as we can and getting familiar with it and seeing in what way it, it might be applicable to, to the Word of God, in the Word of God. We don't want to use it to interpret the Word of God, but we want to see is this something we should grab hold of and uh, adopt into our terminology and allow it allow its utility to be useful to us as we try and determine how to approach different people in different cultures that's very important it's there's one gospel all right how that Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day all right that that in a nutshell that's the gospel and that's what we preach to every nation, people, skin color, culture, it doesn't matter. But the way we approach those different peoples, uh, it, that's important. We often see in the, in, in the Gospels, Jesus approached different people different ways. So we don't, want to, we don't want to fall into this trap of saying there's a cookie cutter way that everybody's supposed to use to preach the Gospel everywhere, because that's not the case. Determining the, 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 the worldview that undergirds that society or those people is going to be important and will inform you the best way to preach the gospel to those people so that they get it and that they abandon their culture. They abandon their culture and their religion and, 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 and all that has been holding them up. They repent of those things and turn to the word of God. Now, again, it's important that we make this distinction. They don't abandon their nation for, or, or their culture for an American nation or an American culture, that's not it. They abandon their flesh, their culture, their religion, whatever it is, their nationality to become part of the body of Christ in accord with the word of God. That's an important distinction. So with that said, let's get into this. This, this broadcast here will serve as, uh, as an introduction, and then there will be there will be broadcasts to come on this topic and on this idea. Uh, it's one I'm excited about and, and I think will we'll give some helpful insight into the world of missions. So let's, let's jump into this. So this, this will be part of the missiological exploration segment of the podcast. Uh, Brother Keith and I will, will begin doing those again uh, very soon, Lord willing. But we're going to 
I hope to discuss with you more of the philosophical, conceptual aspects of these things. And then I want to bring Brother Keith in as we, as we talk more about the practical aspect of things. Uh, Brother Keith is a very practical missionary, and so he'll provide a lot of value in that regard. And so as we get a chance, we'll sit down and, and talk. After I have developed some of these ideas, I want to collect them together, and then he and I can discuss them from a more practical, um, you know, a, a less conceptual standpoint. So this will be part of the missiological exploration aspect of the podcast, and I want to go through an in-depth exploration of the term worldview. It's a very important term. My purpose in doing so is to understand it from a Christian perspective and determine its utility to missions. And that's the key. You know, this is not just a philosophical exercise for the fun of it. Um, I believe this term, understanding this term, and some of the the data I've collected and the and the and the books that I've read and the information I'm putting together, they really do a deep dive. This is not. I think the word worldview is often misused by Christians. Uh, we use it to point to a very shallow level of of you know cultural phenomenon. We 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 look at we use it to explain someone's religion. We use it as a replacement for cur- for culture, the idea of culture or the word culture itself, and. I don't think that's quite right. The word worldview is really at the base level of all those things, of your culture, your religion. It's, it's, a, it's a collective idea that undergirds all those ideas together. It's not just one aspect of, of a person or a people. And, and so it's important to keep that in mind as we go through this. Um, I, I want to look at this from a Christian perspective and, and determine its utility. Many Christian writers have adopted the term and have found it useful in understanding what is necessary to present the gospel in a culturally specific manner. And that's, that's really what I'm looking at here. Um, Uganda is very open to the gospel, but they're not getting saved and coming to church. They make professions of faith in large numbers. You hear people all the time coming to Africa. Um, not long ago, I read of a a famous preacher that everybody loves he came to Africa and he went to Tanzania, Uganda, Congo, Kenya, um, went to four or five East African countries. And it reports back that 7,000 people got saved. <laughs> if that's true, why'd you leave? You could have stayed and had the great, you know, the, the, the largest church in East Africa, the largest Bible believing church in East Africa. 7,000 people got saved. It's just, that is ridiculous, okay? I feel silly telling you that 500 people got saved my first year here. Not not because of me, again, that's ministry-wide, but those people are not in church. So it's, it's so hard to determine the authenticity of those professions of faith. And there has to be a culturally specific issue that I'm missing, that we are missing, and so I want to get to the bottom of how to understand these things and then, and then take the gospel back out into the world to those people. Uh, I mean, we haven't stopped, but, but I, I, want to, I want to do it in a more culturally specific way so that we're not finding ourselves excited about a profession of faith that doesn't materialize into anything other than that. And so that, that's kind of our aim here. I'm a missionary in Uganda, Africa, a country that is seemingly open to the gospel, but simple tests of authenticity will reveal that many of the so-called conversions in this country 
have produced no change in the person's life. And that's frustrating. And so that's where I have to be honest. I have to be, um, you know, intellectually honest with the people that support us. I could just boast about the professions of faith and just fail to mention the balancing act (laughs) that comes with explaining that many of those people did not follow on to do discipleship. They did not come to church. They did not get baptized. I don't know what happened to them. Sometimes we call them and they refuse to answer. We try to follow up with them and they're just not interested. There is a cultural, I believe there is a culturally specific problem there. They will follow you and have a reasonable, a good, reasonable conversation about the gospel. You can reason with Ugandans very well from the scriptures. They take it very well. They receive it well. Um, That's all good. But something is happening from the moment of the profession of faith to the the next follow-up conversation that, that we try to have. There's a big gap there that I need to... That I need, you know, the, the, the professions of faith are tempered by the reality that these people are not coming to church after making these professions of faith. And so that, that needs to be resolved. And I desire to better understand this, this phenomenon and seek a biblical resolution. It's very important to me. Um, I'm not looking for a stereotypical dogmatic response that too often is found in Baptist church, Baptist circles, you know, Baptist churches, Baptist circles, um, I'm searching for a genuine answer that, Lord willing, will potentially rid us of these large-scale, what appear to be false professions of faith. Now, only the Lord knows if those people truly trusted in the Lord or not. And uh, I, I don't try and know whether they did or not. I, don't, I, don't, I can't tell them they're not saved. I can say that when I, when I look at the biblical pattern, someone makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, the next time you see them... They are often telling people what Jesus did for them. That's not happening in the world today on a, on a very large scale. Actually, it's, it's very rare at this point to see that. And so we have to come up with these elaborate programs to try and, you know, put these people who made professions of faith into this almost advertising or, or marketing program where we do follow-up calls and show them how much we care and how much we love them and just wish they'd come to church. But it seems to me that if you made a profession of faith, understanding that Christ shed his blood in your place to pay for your sins, that might be motivation enough to do something as simple as show up to church the next week. And that's not happening. It's not happening, and it's a problem all over the world. It's not just here in Uganda. It it is definitely a problem here in Uganda. It's even more frustrating because many missionaries across the world are not willing to be intellectually honest about what's happening. They will get you excited about the professions of faith, but they won't tell you what's happening after the professions of faith. They might mention the one or two people who do show up and who do follow up, but they're not going to mention the... (laughs) You know, I feel like the Lord, you know, 500 got saved, only one showed up. Where are the 499? <laughs> so that's kind of where we are. And we, and we want to, I would like this reality to come to an end and to see people get gloriously saved and to go on to live victorious Christian lives. It's not enough for me just to get a profession of faith. That, in Uganda, that is easy. And I, and I hope they're genuine. I do. 
I, you know, I, I'd like to tell you that I have full confidence that every profession of faith we have garnered here is, is completely authentic and real, and we'll see those people in heaven. Because that is the requirement to go to heaven. You know, discipleship is not a requirement to go to heaven. Coming to church is not a requirement to go to heaven. Trusting in Christ, having your sins forgiven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the requirement. But when, when people in the Bible did that, there, there was a, a noticeable change that took place in their life. And that's, not, that's what we're not seeing. That's where the struggle is. That's, that's what I hope to, to, to find a solution to. The gospel is straightforward, but its reception by prideful and self-absorbed members of mankind makes it far more complex. It, the gospel is simple. Dealing with man with a simple gospel, <laughs> that's a whole nother matter. Jesus is the answer that every man is searching for, but conveying that reality to sinful men so that they abandon their religion, culture, and family to trust in Christ is incredibly complicated. This does not take away the simplicity that is in Christ, but is in fact a testimony to the overall complexities of human emotion and understanding. All right, so there's, the, the, there's not a problem with the gospel. The problem is that you know, sinful men are dealing with sinful men. That's the problem. And that, that takes something so simple and so free, the gospel, something so beautiful, something that demonstrates love on a scale that the world has never seen outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nobody has loved you like Christ. But when you take that, that gospel, that, that, the, 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 the beauty, the simplicity, the love, the, the, the freeness, the openness, the gospel— to a man that believes he has to work, to a man who can't see past his sin to trust in that gospel, to a man who's confused by any number of a multitudes of religions. You, you, you take the simplicity of the gospel into that, and it, and it just became incredibly complex. And, and that's, again, religion, most aspects of culture, that's, that's a very shallow visual level of a society. When you get to the worldview issues, you're going much deeper. And so if we can't battle with the superficial aspects of culture, how are we going to get the gospel to penetrate all the way through to the worldview level of a society? This is a big deal. And we need to be, we need as Christians, as missionaries, as, as, you know, evangelistic people who want people to trust in Christ, who want people to have their sins forgiven and their souls saved and, and to go on to live a victorious Christian life, we've got to deal with these complexities. We've got to find solutions to them. Failure to do so is going to be problematic. And, uh, and, and I, don't, I don't want to be problematic. I want to do what I can to help resolve problems and, and move on to, to serve the Lord in a, in a fruitful way way, not a successful way. There's a big difference between being fruitful and successful. I don't, I don't care about success. How are you going to define success here and now? You're not. Just be faithful to the Lord and try to be fruitful. That's a whole different matter. Just be good stewards of what the Lord's given us and try to, try to be pleasing to Him. So now here, here, here are some potential problems. Here's a potential problem. Here's an example of, of why we might be struggling. And I, I hope you can take this. I hope, I hope, hope this will inform you and not insult you, not upset you. 
and it might insult you, but I hope it doesn't upset you. I hope you will, you will think it through before you get angry and, <laughs> and shut off this episode. Um, potential source of trouble, and this is, again, from a missions perspective, as much as I would like to blame these failed conversions on the persons making false professions of faith, and surely they bear some responsibility, there's, there's no doubt about that, I'm afraid we must first look at home. We might need to look at us as missionaries first and then turn our attention to, to the people making false professions of faith. Now, they, they, they definitely bear some blame in this. We're not, we're not excusing them. But, but let's look at what we're doing first, and then, and then let's go to, to the external. I, I personally am frustrated by the level of syncretism practiced by professing Christians. Now, that's a problem. How can I expect this, you know, this heathen in a pagan land, so-called, to abandon their paganism when Christians, when missionaries who, who profess to belong to Christ are bringing paganism with them into the conversation? It's in their lives. And, and, but we expect, we expect the, the foreign national to repent of their paganism, but we don't expect to have to get rid of our own. That, that's, a, that's a big problem. Even in my own crowd, independent Baptists, the, over, the overlap of fidelity to paganism and Christian practice demonstrates confusion. This is a problem. It may not be one we want to contend with or to hear about, but it is a, it is a serious problem. I'm going to mention some things here in a moment that, that will maybe give you a hint or two, but it's, it's being manifest. I mean, we can make a long list. I'm just going to give you a few examples. We can make a long list, but it's often manifest in very odd ways, in ways that, that are seemingly spiritual. And that, that's even more of a problem because we're taking paganism, putting Jesus' name on it, and then transferring that to people that we expect to abandon their paganism. <laughs> So, Lord, Lord, help us. Um, how can we then expect new converts across cultural lines to repent of their paganism when we have failed to do the same? One area of Christian life, this reality, now this is just one area, okay? Bear with me. I'm, I, this is not a singular issue. You know, sometimes people like to, you know, I, I give an example of something, and then they try, in response, they try and say, well, you, you know, you said this. Well, I said that as an example, it's not the only example. It's not the only area. We could make a long list if you really wanted to, but I think for some of you, it would just upset you more. <laughs> I don't think seeing a longer, more exhaustive list of examples of how Christians in America, Baptists in America, independent Baptists in America are failing to abandon paganistic worldviews in exchange for a Christian worldview. They just keep their paganism and put Jesus' name on it. That's not acceptable. I don't want to do that. I need to seek out areas in my life where that might exist, and I hope you don't want to do that. But one area of the Christian life this reality is on full display is in the area of missions. Missionaries are sent around the world to preach Christ, but somehow American patriotism, Christmas, and Easter are all placed on even ground as the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, if that statement confuses you, there's a good chance you have been subject to the very syncretism of which I am speaking. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. That's exciting. <laughs> 
Missionaries arrive on a foreign field, and instead of preaching the pure word of God, it is somehow intermingled with the preacher's cultural influences. So, so yes, I, I, am, I am giving you a few examples of paganism, a pagan practice that have been transferred into Christianity. Well, they haven't. They, they have been forced upon the Christian world and called Christian. Uh, Jesus' name has been forced into these things when they have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And so you, you expect this, this pagan who, who might celebrate, uh, in a very paganistic way, might celebrate certain holidays around the winter solstice, you expect them to abandon that because you're the one with Jesus and adopt your version of the, winter, of the celebration of the winter solstice, but in Jesus' name. Now, that, that is syncretism, and that is, you know, we, we hear stories of uh, missionaries in Japan and, and all over the world, but it, it, Japan is a great example of a people who will trust in Jesus Christ and then take their little cross or their Bible and set it on the shelf right next to the, the you know, Buddha and, and you know, whatever, whatever other God they, they worship. And that's exactly what we've done with, with bringing paganism into our Christian practice. It's no different. We, we condemn them for it, but then, <laughs> but it's okay for us because we, we put Jesus' name on it. And so somehow, somehow we have found a way to make that acceptable. And it absolutely is not. To some extent, this is inevitable. You're going to intermingle your cultural influences in some way. But, but it's unacceptable when the preacher fails to check his own cultural traditions with the Word of God. As such, we have new Christians all across the uttermost celebrating pagan holidays in Jesus' name. To understand this ungodly admixture, we must ask ourselves, what does it mean to become a Christian? What is that exactly? What, what are the limits? What are the boundaries? What is acceptable? What is not acceptable? What must be left behind when we trust in Christ? These are worldview issues. They're fundamental to the core of the culture. It's not the culture itself. It's, it's something much deeper, and we need to get to the bottom of this. We place an immediate focus on the person's manner of dress and musical entertainment, but fail to address the deeply rooted philosophical and psychological patterns that, that regulate their, their hearts and minds. We've got to get, like the Lord said, like John the Baptist said, you've got to take that axe and cut it at the roots, <laughs> And we're not doing that. We're, we're, we're dealing with the superficial, and we deal with the superficial because there are things that we want to cling to. We expect them to give up, but we're not going to give up. And that, that, can't, that can't happen. Uh, our failure to confront supposed converts at the worldview level often causes us to doubt the ability of others to be saved or to live the Christian life. It's, a, it's an endless circle. Too often we approach ideas from a single point of analysis, which is a serious mistake. Many variables exist to be so single-minded in our solutions to tough questions. You've got to consider the whole package. You've got to consider everything together. For example, what would we say to the man in a remote village who trusted in Christ but had no access to Bible training? From the moment of salvation, all that man has is the information given to him when confronted with the gospel. That information intermingled with his previous experiences and understanding will provide a deeply entrenched syncretistic worldview. It's, again, it's that, that vicious cycle. 
The result will be less of a change by conversion and more of a simple addition to, to his status quo. Insofar as his profession of faith was valid, he is as saved as the independent Baptist with a Christmas tree in his house. There's no difference. My contention is that neither is acceptable, and we must discuss these issues. We cling to paganism dressed in the name of Jesus, but we become frustrated when it is repeated in a different form by other cultures. These matters are complicated. They are complicated further in cultures that use Christian terminology, but they mean something completely different. Here in Uganda, we have a group who call themselves the born-agains, but they have no understanding of the concept whatsoever. They don't know what it means to be born again. Most of them have no idea the term born-again exists in the Word of God. They simply belong to a denomination that calls itself by that name. And as you can imagine, it, it produces great confusion. And so this is the idea we're going to explore. I've got more here for you, but we're going to stop it here for today. Um, uh, we'll pick back up in part two of this introduction with a little more conversation and, and, and in some biblical and, and a biblical example, a good biblical example. So thank you for listening and God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.